One of the things that you that have been around me for much time know, I say frequently because I, I really want it to just sink down so that it becomes just a, something spontaneously that's always on our heart and mind. It's kind of a guidance mechanism. Is that, you know, we are in this life and it's meant to be a developmental journey. We're meant, first of all, to reconnect with our creator, Christ, to come to that point in life where we say, I'm going to stop trusting in myself and doing life my way. I'm going to put my trust in Christ, the one that created the universe, the one that loved me enough to demonstrate it by sacrificing himself on a cross. That's the start of our developmental journey. But after that, God wants us to grow, and he gives us this tremendous potential to change. Every single person you ever meet, yourself, myself included, we have tremendous potential to change, tremendous potential to grow. If, if we're connected with Christ, if we have him incentivizing us, if we have him comforting us and forgiving us and coaching us and directing us, this whole series has been about God's transforming capacity that he's built into us, that he wants to catalyze, he wants to bring, bring alive. And again, I've said over and over again that we're not talking about you and I becoming some different person than we inherently are. No, we're talking about you and I becoming the very best version of ourself, that Christ-like version that we were always created to be. We're still who we are, but we're a Christ-like, a better version of ourselves, and it doesn't matter how we start out in fact i'm going to go further and say it doesn't really matter how much time we burn along the way our god is so gracious and so engaged with us that he just waits for the slightest opening of our hearts and our minds the slightest bit of trust so that he can start to work his transforming work in us and anybody that's walked with christ for any length of time knows you get to feel a whole lot better about who you are as a human being as Christ starts to be allowed to change you and as we start to grow and so on. Now today, I, I, I said this in the first service and I don't mean to over-dramatize this, but I want to be honest with you. In this series, and this is the last message in the series, th this may be the most important message in this entire series. But let me go further. This may be the most important message that some of you will ever hear in your life. You will look back on this message, some of you, possibly, and you will recognize that God attempted to get so close to you that you could almost feel his breath on your ear to try to speak to you, to try to get your attention, to try to win your confidence, your trust, to try to get you to be willing to consider a course redirection in your life. You're going to look back and you're going to recognize this, this was a pivotal moment. So I'm going to describe a scenario with you. Questionable Beginnings is our series. Some of us, we go along in life and everything is just kind of predictable. It's kind of routine. You know, we go through those seasons. Everything is just sort of fine. Our relationships are okay. They're intact. Our work is okay. Our health is okay. Everything is just sort of going all okay, all right. But then all of a sudden, and you know and I know this can happen at any given time, all of a sudden our circumstances can change. Unexpected circumstances can hit us and all at once that life that was so calm and easy and predictable and enjoyable, it changes. And that takes us from those unexpected circumstances to very uncomfortable emotions. We start to worry, we start to have fear, we start to wonder, what does this mean? What is this going to do to me? How is this going to change my life? What, what kind of problems is this going to bring? And then from there, if we're not careful, we bolt to the third emotion, 
or the third emotional cycle, and it's, it's what I would call undisciplined desires. And you'll know what I mean by undisciplined desires when I start to describe it. What do I mean by undisciplined desires? Now, now get the cycle again. Unexpected circumstances, uncomfortable feelings, undisciplined desires. Undisciplined desires bring voices in our minds, and the voices sound like this. I gotta get out of this. I, I, I gotta quit. I've got to have a change. I can't take, I can't take any more. I, I, I've got to run. There's no way. I'm not doing this. I am finished. I'm done. I'm through. Now, here's where this gets intensely personal. Truth of the matter is, the likelihood is, some of us in this room today, we're in that cycle. We're in that, that cycle where the undisciplined desires are rising up in us and the voices are going through our heads. And we're, we're maybe even this week, we've said some of those things. We thought some of those things. Man, I'm done. I'm through. I've had it. I can't. I can't take anymore. And I'm not going to take anymore and if we listen to those voices and please please try to I don't want anybody feeling overtly you know uncomfortable at this point just hear me out if we listen to those voices we get into what I call the deserter cycle we say I'm done I'm finished I'm out of here I'm quitting I'm deserting and we do and most of us in this room, in one way or in one, one realm or another, we have. And some of us in this room are likely right on the edge today of doing it again. So this message is like this. What a loving, tender-hearted God wants to do for some of us is to stop that cycle. We're, we're in the cycle. He wants, to, he wants to catch us before we give in to those undisciplined feelings he wants to catch us before we desert before we run for it there's others of us we have deserted we have run we we have taken the plunge and ever since then we're just sort of out of rhythm we, we just can't put a finger on it we're just not comfortable in our own skin we we can't feel comfortable in walking with god we try to we try to get our life back on track but something just seems to to bother us maybe it's just that we can't sufficiently emphasis on the word sufficiently we can't sufficiently resolve our feelings of failure or guilt or shame and so for you that are in that category for anybody that's in that category today i'm telling you god has brought you here because he wants to this day restore you to a place where you are on a path on a trajectory that he knows is good it's fruitful it's going to lead to good things for you good things for others he wants to sufficiently heal the feelings of failure and guilt and shame so that you actually can go on and get on a path that leads to life and then for all of us he wants to protect us he wants to equip us for the next cycle because it's going to happen again in each and every one of our lives we're going to suddenly hit unexpected circumstances it's going to create uncomfortable feelings and those uncomfortable feelings are going to bring us to that place where we start to ponder those undisciplined desires those desires to escape those desires to run those desires to quit they're going to rise up in us again we're going to face it all of us are going to face it think for a moment of what Christians in Afghanistan are going to face when that knock comes on their door and the Taliban want to, want to know, are you Christians? Because that's a death sentence, folks. It's a death sentence to their children. What do you do? Do you become a deserter? Do you become an apostate? Do you turn away from Christ? Do you turn away from 
the will and word of God. And I'm, I'm, I know, understand, we're not facing that here, but you have to wake up and understand that the world has people that are facing these kinds of things. So for some of us, though, ours are going to be much milder, but when we face that next cycle, God wants to help us be better equipped to navigate, to navigate these periods of time and these experiences in our life. So, okay, we're going to look at a man's life who goes from being a deserter. He's, he's known in Scripture. You're going to see it in a minute yourself. As a deserter, but he gets it turned around. He gets it turned around, and he becomes a devotee of God, so much so that God says a lot about him in his word. So let me kind of pick the storyline up for you now. We're, we're going to start in the book of Acts. This is after Jesus had risen from the dead, and he had told his disciples to go make disciples of all nations. The church starts to spread. They start reaching more people that put their trust in Christ and become his followers. At this point, Peter has been arrested by Herod, the puppet king, the Jewish puppet king, who was just trying to please the Jews who did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah and were trying to stamp out the early Christian movement. So let me pick up reading. Acts chapter 12, verse 11. It says, Then Peter came to himself. He had been in jail, manacles on his wrists and feet. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches, and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. A real angel of God comes, miraculously causes the manacles to fall off of Peter. The prison doors open, and Christian songwriters have been writing songs about prison doors and chains falling ever since. So anyway, that's what happens there. Next part. When this had dawned on him, meaning Peter, when this had dawned on him that he really had been miraculously set free, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called, and I want you to say this out loud with me. Every time you hear Mark, I'm going to ask you to say it out loud with me, okay? Went to the house of Mary, mother of John, who is also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. They were praying for Peter's release. It's kind of a funny story if you ever read it on your own in Acts 12. When Peter is released, he's knocking on the door, and then they won't let him in because they don't believe he could be there because they thought he was in jail. So anyway, we don't have much confidence in our prayers sometimes. <laughs> Let's go on. Now we're fast-forwarding a bit in chapter 12. What had happened here? Barnabas and Saul, Saul becomes the apostle Paul, they had been uh, on a mission to Jerusalem to give financial aid because a famine was coming to Jerusalem uh, Agabus, a prophet, had prophesied about it. So they go to give some financial help to the brothers and sisters in Christ living in Jerusalem. So when Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, in other words, they gave the money to the needy you know, believers in, in Jerusalem, they returned from Jerusalem, from Jerusalem back to Antioch, which would be southern Turkey is where they were at, um, taking with them John also called Mark. Okay, you, you're, you're doing good. Let's go on. So they take this young guy from Jerusalem back to Antioch, which was, you know, like southern part of Turkey, so south, southeastern Turkey is where we would recognize it today. Acts 13.1. Now, now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manahan, who had been uh, brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, who we know becomes Paul the Apostle. Let's go on. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So the Holy Spirit singles out Barnabas and Saul, who becomes the Apostle Paul, 
and calls them out to a work where they would go and start to reach people for Christ, plant churches, move on, plant another one, move on, plant another one, and so forth. That's what they were called for, unique work. But it was only Barnabas and Saul, who becomes Paul, that were called for this work. So let's go on. They take off, okay? So they they take off on, on the work. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God. By the way, where this is all at, they, they go from their base in Antioch to Cyprus, the island Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. Who was with them? John was with them, and John's other name is Mark. John was with them as their helper. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. The Holy Spirit said he wanted Paul, Saul, Paul, and he wanted Barnabas. didn't say anything about John. But John evidently, John Mark, was such a unique, promising young follower of Christ that when they met him in Jerusalem, they were so impressed with him, they take him back with them to the church at Antioch. And so impressed with John Mark were they that they take him out on this missionary church planting uh, mission that God had called them to. So they've got John Mark as their helper. From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them to return to where? And that was his home. So get the picture. They take off from Antioch. They hit the island Cyprus on the the east side of Cyprus. And they start just working their way across. Paul would go into the synagogues. Why would he go into the synagogues? Because Jews were there who knew the Old Testament. He would use the Old Testament to prove that Jesus of Nazareth was the predicted prophesied Messiah, the Christ. And he would try to reach people for Christ in that methodology. So he's working his way all across the island of Cyprus. They get across the island, and now they're going to head up north. When they get to uh, Perga, John says, I'm out of here, man. I'm, I'm done. Too much for me. John Mark says, uh-uh. You guys maybe, not me. I'm finished. Now, he deserts them. If I could just go on. Sometime later, now, now get the picture. He deserts them. When you get to Acts 15, the sometime later is five years. Okay? Five years have now passed since John Mark deserted them. It appears that he only traveled with them maybe a few weeks at the most, maybe a month, who knows, and he deserts. So it's five years later. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers at all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Sounds like a great idea. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. Paul did not think it was wise to take him. Because he had, what is the word? Deserted. He had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. So so here's our setup. John, who showed such promise, they wouldn't have called, they wouldn't have taken him from Jerusalem if he didn't show such promise. But then as soon as he gets out in the work, he, for whatever reason, he doesn't go on. Now, we don't know what the reason was. We don't know why John Mark stopped. We don't know why he deserted. But I'm going to suggest to you that he went through a cycle, and it's a cycle that each and every one of us know. I've already taken you through it at the very introduction of the message, but let me take you through it a little more carefully now as we try to dissect and learn for ourselves what causes us to become a deserter. Okay? Let's look. How does one become a deserter? First thing. 
unexpected circumstances. We don't know what happened to John Mark, but we know that something happened that he did not expect. He did not anticipate it. He thought it going with Barnabas and Saul, who becomes Paul, that it was going to be meaningful, good, exciting, pleasant, calm. You know, he just thought he was up to the task, whatever it was, but something, we don't know what, something happened that he didn't expect, and it jolted him. How many of you in here have ever had something happen in your life? It just hit you out of the blue. You didn't expect it, and it just shook you to your core. It, it, it just made you wonder, what is going to happen with me in my life? Can I see your hands? Yeah, we, we know it. This is reality, folks. Any 24-hour period, this can happen to any of us. It doesn't matter who we are. It doesn't matter how bright we are. It doesn't matter how much wealth we have. It doesn't matter how many support systems. We are vulnerable beings made in the image of God, made by Christ and for Christ. But apart from him, we have no security. We really don't. So unexpected circumstances. Here's a verse that helps us when we face, and we will in the future, unexpected circumstances. In the book of James... It says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face, what does it say? Trials of how many? Many kinds. Trials can come in all forms. And James says, when it happens to you who are Christ followers, to you who have put your trust in Christ, the creator of the universe, who loves you enough to die for you, you can be confident, you can count it as joy. Now, that's kind of a weird, you know, emotional twist count a trial that I don't want I don't feel good about count it as joy why 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 would I do that why why would anybody do that well the rest of the verse tells us because why do we do it why do we can't do it because you know that the testing of your faith the testing of your trust in Christ produces what is the word perseverance perseverance means I'm gonna I'm gonna stay my ground I'm gonna stay on the job I'm, I'm gonna stay in place no matter what happens Okay, stick to itiveness. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be, what is the word? Mature. mature. How do we become mature followers of Christ? By staying under conditions we don't like, trials, persevering, staying faithful to God, faithful to his word while we're under the trial. Our character starts to grow. We become sturdy. We become steadfast. We become mature. John Mark was not mature. He might have had a lot of promise. He might have had a lot of gifts, but he did not have sufficient character development, so he deserts when something unexpected in circumstances occurred with him. So that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Second thing, let's go to the next one. Uncomfortable feelings. When these unexpected circumstances hit John Mark, we don't know what they were, but whatever it was, this is what happens to him and to us as well. The uncomfortable feelings come. We, we become worried. We become fearful. We, we become uh, concerned that we're out of control. Uh, I'm not going to ask you how many of you here are control freaks, but I'm going to tell you, I don't like roller coasters. I'll tell you something about me. I don't like to get on airplanes. I'll tell you a little bit more about me. I like my hands on the wheel, no matter how dangerous it may be. I'd rather my hands than somebody else's. Uncomfortable feelings from unexpected circumstances. We worry, we fret. Here's a verse to help us with that. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says, every test that you have experienced is the kind that normally comes to people. John Mark might have felt like, I, I can't do this, man. This is not me. This is not who I am. I don't think anybody understands what this makes me feel like. How many of you have maybe said to yourself, I, I don't think anyone else would understand 
what I'm going through. Maybe we've all felt like that at times, but that verse is saying that's not true. It says that anything that you and I ever encounter is it's just normal. It feels abnormal to us because it's happening to us, but it's saying it's, it's just normal. It's just things that every human being encounters. Every test that you've experienced is the kind that normally comes to people, but God keeps his promise, and he will not allow you to be tested above your power to do what? To remain firm. Instead of deserting, remain firm. He says, God promises. He'll give us the power to remain firm. Doesn't mean we will remain firm. John Mark didn't remain firm. He deserted. You've probably deserted some things. I've deserted some things. But God provided the power. We, we just didn't maybe know about it, or maybe we didn't access it, whatever the case. He'll provide you the power to remain firm. At the time you are put to the test, he will give you the strength to do what? To endure it. Doesn't mean we enjoy it, but we can endure it. How many of you will be honest enough with me to say, sometimes you say to yourself, at least in your mind, I can't take one more thing can I see your hands that is such a lie <laughs> I've had to do something for myself I've had to literally whenever that thought goes through my head now I say no you know that's a lie you can take one for in fact Randy you can take as much as you have to take to stay within the will of God now, I, I have made that a practice because once you and I start to say things like that to ourselves, it starts to minimize our resolve. And the next thing you know, we get into that deserter cycle. We, we, we are lying to ourselves. We can take a whole lot. We just read God says he's going to give us the ability to stand firm. He's going to give us the ability to endure. But if we lie to ourselves and say, I can't, I can't take anymore. You know, Lord, look at me. You see, see what I'm made of. I'm just dust. I can't take anymore. You're tough dust. You're really tough dust. <laughs> Doesn't mean it's going to feel good. But we that have at least at times been faithful to God, we know that it is good, even though it doesn't feel good. So he says, he's going to give you the power to remain firm. He will give you the strength to endure it and so provide you with a way out so let's look at the next thing that happens in the cycle then comes the undisciplined desire so it's unexpected circumstances uncomfortable feelings which produce undisciplined desires and these are those desires like, I'm out of here I can't take anymore I, I'm, I'm finished I'm done this is too much whatever it is I'm going to escape I'm going, I'm going on the run I don't care what anybody thinks what anybody feels I don't even care what God thinks at this point I'm out of here i'm finished i quit undisciplined desires they they rise up now god gives us a word about our desires you see we, we live in a day and age where we're being lied to categorically almost continuously around the clock through modern media we, we don't realize we're the only generation out of out of 108 billion people who've ever lived and died on the planet we're this tiny percent maybe two percent of people that had such a thing as media we are bombarded by messages and messaging around the clock no other human beings that ever lived and died on planet earth had to endure this but part of the messaging today is that whatever i desire whatever i feel i should have or or that's what i am if i feel a certain way that's what i am if i desire 
desire a certain thing, I am entitled to it, and I should have it. And the messaging from our society just continues to reinforce this idea on her head, and it's not true. It's just not true. Our society tells us our desires should lead us. I should follow my desires. Whatever I desire, that's, that's the guidance of God in my heart. Just follow your heart is what our society tells us. But the real God, the God that writes his word to us, he says our desires are not to be trusted. Our desires are good servants, but they are lousy masters and leaders. You see, the way God designed us, he, he intended us to have our God-enlightened reasoning faculties. In other words, our reasoning faculties, full of God's truth, full of God's word, and our conscience, full of God's truth, creating our values. And so God-enlightened reasoning and our consciences were meant to lead us, to direct us, to control our will, and ultimately to control our feelings. How many of you have ever successfully controlled your feelings you felt like doing something you really felt like doing it but you didn't do it can I just see your hand right so we all know we can control our feelings how many of you ever have one of these things happen you're, you're, you're in a, like a knockdown, drag out argument with somebody maybe your spouse or kids or something like that and then all of a sudden the telephone rings and so, so you're like yelling to the point that your voice is getting gravelly, but then the phone, the phone rings, and you go, hello. <laughs> oh, how are you? <laughs> so we know, we know we can control our feelings. We just don't sometimes. Undisciplined desires. Look at what it says in Scripture. The God that loves us says this. He says, actually, all of us, we like them, live and lived according to our natural desires. We have some natural desires that are based on our drive for self-preservation and self-gratification. We know we're only going to live a little while. We don't know when we're going to die, so we're desperate. We've got to get it all now, bucket list, all that kind of crazy nonsense. It makes us fools. That's what it means, natural desires. Doing whatever suited the wishes of our bodies and our minds. My life wouldn't be worth it if I didn't have A, B, C, D, E, F, G, if I couldn't do whatever it is we say we, we have to do. These are the lies our desires tell us. One more. Galatians 5, 16, it says, if you're guided by the Spirit, the Spirit of God through the Word of God, you won't obey your what? Selfish, Selfish desires. This means then that it is, it is normative for we human beings to have to go to war with our desires and not let our desires, particularly our undisciplined desires, the result of unexpected circumstances, uncomfortable feelings, we don't dare listen to those unless we get into that deserter cycle. We're going to abandon something, someone, something. Now I want to show you an illustration of someone and, and I'm not trying to pile on this guy I'm not trying to, to minimize you know the good that he did or anything like that. but but there's a church down in Gaithersburg it was called Covenant Life Church some of you are familiar with it it was a big church like running 3,000 people or so not so much now but um, the guy that was pastor there uh, for 10 years lead pastor young man his name is Josh Harris here's his picture notice it says former former Christian he was senior pastor lead pastor of covenant life church for 10 years church of 3,000 more people former christian josh harris offers deconstruction course for believers rethinking their faith you know what deconstruction course means he is now he who once taught thousands of people how to walk with god is now teaching thousands of people if they'll bite on it for 275 dollars how to walk away from god that's what deconstruction means let, let me go on and share what something else he said a while back. 
in his Instagram post on uh, seventh month, what is that? Is that uh, July? I should know that. That's my birthday. <laughs> Seven thirteen. Okay, never mind. Um, Seven twenty nine nineteenth. Josh Harris shares that he has undergone a massive shift in regard to my faith in Jesus. The popular phrase. This is he, this is his words now. The popular phrase for this is deconstruction. It makes it sound so suave and sophisticated. The biblical phrase. I'm glad, glad he put it in. Is falling away. By all the measurements that I have for defining a Christian, I am not a Christian. Now, he's not only not a Christian, for $275, he'll give you a course on how you too can become not a Christian. Okay, so, so why, why am I bringing this up? Because, because when we get into the deserter cycle, it doesn't always end like John Mark's does. John Mark is restored. He rebounds. He, he becomes somebody significant in the kingdom of God and in the work of God and the blessing of the lives of other people but some people deserting or one step of deserting leads to a lifelong departure from Christ now, now with Josh Harris I, I'm, I'm still hoping I prayed for this guy that he will still have his, his trust in Christ restored but my belief is that he probably never really had any trust in Christ I think he knew all about Christ he was a good teacher of the word of God how many of you know that you can know all about God and not really trust in him? Do you, do you know what I'm saying? The Pharisees in Jesus' day, they knew all about God. They knew all about God's word. They had Old Testament memorized, most of them. But when God himself, Jesus, showed up, they hated him. Anyway, let me go on. Listen to this verse carefully. 1 John two nineteen. it says, They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. Think of Josh Harris again. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. What is that? It's kind of a tongue twister. What is it saying? It's saying that if a person, if a person departs from Christ and ultimately does never turn back around, they were never really one that trusted in Christ to begin with. They might have been religious. They might have known all, all kinds of things about the Bible, but that doesn't mean that they actually trusted in the author of the Bible, who is the creator of the universe, Christ himself. So, deserting can be turned around, God's desire is, but it can lead to something called apostasy, a complete departure from the faith. I hope that's not true with Josh Harris, but it could be. And I'll bet you you know some people that look very much like they have departed from Christ forever. Well, let's go on. How does one become a devotee? Because we, we want to get on the right side of this. We, we want to hear the good side of the story. How, how does John Mark get back on the good side? What exactly went on to restore him? And by the way, how many of you in here have ever read not Matthew, not Luke, not John, but the Gospel of Mark? Can I see your hands? I've been telling people for decades when they ask me, what should I start when I read the Bible? Where should I start? I tell them the Gospel of Mark. Do you know why I tell them that? It's the shortest one, exactly. <laughs> Matthew's going to bog you down. So is Luke and so is John. Mark you'll get through. It's only 16 chapters. You can blaze right through that and you'll feel you accomplish something. And more importantly, you get a picture of God as he's revealed in Christ. Anyway, he becomes chosen by God. He goes from being a deserter to the individual that's chosen by God to receive the revelation that is now we have in our possession in the gospel of mark so we know the story ends well with him but how how did he get turned around how 
how do we get turned around? If we're in the deserter cycle right now, and we're thinking about, I'm done, I'm quitting, I'm out of here, I'm escaping, how do we, how do we put the skids on that? If we have deserted and we're in that, that kind of funk zone where we don't feel good about ourselves or anything and we don't, we don't really know how to walk with God at this stage in our life, we feel unworthy and we haven't resolved guilt sufficiently, we haven't resolved shame sufficiently, how, how do we get back on the path? How does one become a devotee? All right, let's look at it. First, engaging with those who encourage I want, to think, I want to guarantee you something. God will always put someone in our lives who's ready to encourage us, particularly when we're down. You see, Randy, I've been through times in my life, and there was not one person that even knew or cared at all. How about books? I've been through many a season in my life where, you know where I got my encouragement? From strangers. Some of those strangers are dead. They, they, they wrote their books hundreds of years ago, but I got encouragement from them. God will always put encouragers in our life so engaging with those who encourage look at what happens with john who becomes mark acts chapter 4 meets this guy we've heard this guy earlier joseph a descendant of levi had been born on the island of cyprus remember that's where they first went on the trip to cyprus the apostles called him who barnabas, barnabas. Oh, we meet him barnabas but what did, what did Barnabas mean? Why did they call him Barnabas? Which means a person who what? This guy was so encouraging that everybody that met him just said, man, I don't know what it is. Every time I get around that guy, I get fired up. I just get hopeful. I get cheered. I start believing in God more. I start believing in people more. This guy fires me up. He was such a, have you, ever, have you ever met people like that that you just can't be in their presence without being a little bit encouraged? Anybody know some people like that? Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Just hoping. No, I'm just kidding. So let's look at what happens next. Paul and Barnabas, now remember, he deserts them uh, 45 A.D. It's five years later. They say they're going to go back on their mission trip and check out all the believers. Five years later, this is 50 A.D. when this happens, Paul and Barnabas disagreed so sharply that they parted ways. Paul and Barnabas, who were called, Acts 13, to be those that go out and plant churches, they split. Why did they split? Because they couldn't agree about John Mark. Barnabas wanted to take John Mark with them again. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed to the island of Cyprus. By the way, that's where the whole problem started. When the original missionary journey started, they went to Cyprus. Some of you know this to be true. How many of you have had God give you do-overs when you don't want to do a do-over? You know what I'm talking about? It's something you thought you deserted and escaped from. And then you found you were right back facing the same thing again a do-over because sometimes until we do it the way God intended us to do it we can't grow the way God intended us to grow and we can't become who God wants us to become and then do the future things that he wants us to do so sometimes we get a do-over anyway he takes him Barnabas takes him and can you imagine what this conversation might have been like between Barnabas and Paul when they were arguing you know so they're getting ready to go visit the churches and um, all of a sudden Barnabas says hey man Paul let, before we go let, let's get John Mark to go with us again and Paul's like are you kidding me man that's the guy that deserted us five years ago I'm not taking that kid 
But come on, Paul, that was five years ago. Give him a break. He's five years older. He's more mature now. You know how much promise he showed when we met him in Jerusalem. Paul's like, listen, listen, I get you. I, I agree. Kid shows a lot of promise. But he doesn't show the sufficient character to sustain the kind of challenges and hardships that this ministry calls for. Maybe he just needs to find a different place to serve. Come on, Barney. You know that not everybody's cut out for this stuff. And then Barney, and then Barney says to Paul, he says, come on, Paul, you, you're not going to forgive this kid like, like we all don't need second and third and fourth chances? Come on. You, you've heard Paul, Pastor Randy even says that you've you got you to gotta be willing to do something poorly before you can ever do it good. <laughs> and I can imagine them going back and forth like that. But finally, Paul says, no way, no how. I'm not going to risk the work. I don't believe he has the character yet to sustain his giftedness. And so I'm done. I'm taking Silas. But he takes him. And Barnabas, the son of encouragement, he restores this kid. And this kid becomes a champion for God. I want to tell you something now. There's some of us in here, we've done some deserting. And we have been out of step, out of sync ever since. And the Spirit of God wants to restore some of us this day. He wants to sufficiently remove our guilt, sufficiently remove our shame, sufficiently take the burden of feeling unworthy, unfit, unusable away. Just like he did for John Mark. So he takes him and it goes well. Engage with those who encourage you. That's the first step in getting restored when you've gone through a desertion cycle and you've been the deserter. Let's look at the second thing. Seizing opportunities to serve. Once again, Barnabas says, come on, man, let's get back at it. Let's go to Cyprus again. It didn't go so good the first time, but we'll, we'll make it work this time, buddy. You come on with me to Cyprus. Seizing an opportunity to serve. How many of you know that when you start to serve God and serve others, you end up serving yourself, generally speaking, more so than the Lord or others you serve. Something starts to change in you. When we do good, we feel good. It's the way God wired us. Look at this verse, Galatians 6. It says, take advantage of every opportunity to be a what? A blessing to others. Why? Because that, that blesses us, blesses them, blesses us, blesses God, especially to our brothers and sisters in the family of faith. So here we have it. Engage with those who are encouraging. Seize opportunities to serve. Third step real quick disallowing past failures to determine your future now this is a tough one because some of us have such sensitive spirits that we feel like that our desertion our failures are so so horrendous that we are not worthy to even lift our eyes again to god or man and and we just cower in secrecy never feeling good enough to be used by god again and that's a mistake john mark could have done that I mean, Paul didn't want anything to do with him, but he didn't. Disallowing past failures to determine your future. God always wants us to have a future. He's always for us. He's always with us. He wants to restore us. He just waits for the teachable moment in our hearts and our lives where we'll cease to insist on doing things our way, when we'll actually trust him and start to learn to do things his way, only to discover, oh my goodness, all this time his way was everything I've been looking for. I just never would have believed it or thought it. Listen to this verse. 
Proverbs, I love this one. Proverbs 24, 16. Though a righteous person falls, how many times? Now, no, please, don't be like, okay, five. That's five. I got two more coming. <laughs> it's poetic. It's poetic language, okay? Though a righteous person falls seven times, and I love this next phrase. I love it, love it, love it. He, she will what? Get up. And, and I'm telling you, God's spirit is here. I've never felt something so intensely as I felt it in the first service now. And he is telling some of you. He is pleading with some of you. It is time for you to get up and to get back in the game, to get out of the stands, to throw off the shame, to throw off the fear, to throw off the doubt and the distrust, and to get up, to rise up and just start moving with God because he wants to work in you, he wants to work through you, and there are lives, lives waiting, waiting for the blessing that God's going to bring to you and then through you to them. But you've got to get up you got to get up. You can't, you can't languish around in your past failures. The righteous person falls seven times. He will, she will get up. But the wicked, well, they'll stumble and they'll just go into ruin. It's an inevitability. So here's the process of going from being a deserter to a devotee. Now I want to close with something that someone sent me this week. <laughs> it's about hope. Let me show you this drawing. It's a little bit difficult to see on the screen, but this woman is, is somewhat battered, and you can see she's blindfolded, and what she is holding there is a lyre. It's a musical instrument, an old musical instrument, but what you may or may not be able to see is there's only one string left on the lyre. Now listen to the artist himself explain what this means. There's the artist. His name was George Frederick Watts. Uh, in a letter he wrote to his friend Madeline Wyndham, December 1885, he explains the painting that he did. Hope, the woman represents hope. Hope sitting on a globe with bandaged eyes playing on a lyre which has all the strings broken but one out of which poor little tinkle she is trying to get all the music possible, listening with all her might to the little sound. And he says to Madeline Wyndham, do you like the idea? Here's why I love this. This was sent this week, and this thing just kind of riveted on my mind. The difference between being a deserter, staying a deserter, and getting to the point of being a devotee. By, by the way, at the end of the Apostle Paul's life in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, he knows he's going to be martyred. He's been serving Christ for 32 years. He knows Nero is going to cut his head off. And in his letter, he says, I need you to send Mark to me. He has been such a big help in my ministry. They, they, they became buddies again. They served together again. He, he was with Paul in jail in the book of Colossians when he was in Roman confinement. But what I'm trying to say is this. You may be right now in a circumstance where you just have one string on your lyre. Your hope is thin. You feel broken, you feel beaten, you feel I'm done, I can't take anymore, I don't want to take anymore, I don't know what to do, I want to escape, I want to disappear, I just want to desert. And God is here saying, I want to teach you, I want to teach you how to play on the one string. And I guarantee you, God's got some hope still in your life. 
it might be a person it might be an idea it might even be a message like this certainly it was his intent to give you hope through this message I don't like sometimes when the hope in my life is small but I have learned I have learned how to play on one string and I've learned if I played long enough on that one string music starts sounding better than I ever expected things start to change and I start to change which is more important and if I let God start changing me then chances are he'll allow me to be a catalyst to change some others and that makes it worth it you have hope you may be in that deserter cycle this morning but a loving God who knows you intensely he has watched you all your life with loving eyes who is for you and with you and who wants to give you a future he is telling you you have hope today but it might just be one string and you might be bandaged up and beat up and you might feel like you can't even see where what lies ahead where the hope is going you got to grab it though you got to grab it this morning some of you know the Spirit of God has spoken to you directly by name you're in the deserter cycle you're ready to make the undisciplined decision he'll still be with you but you'll put yourself through some unnecessary grief more than likely so why not grab on to the power to stand firm to be steadfast or rebound grab the power of God to believe that he can cleanse you restore you get you moving in the path that will be a positive path for you and for everybody that encounters you it can all start this morning some of you know that you know that you know God's speaking to you man don't let it go don't don't miss this moment because it can be the start of the change of your life let's pray Father, you know us. You know some of us are right on that dangerous line. May your spirit speak to us, argue with us, draw us to yourself. May the rest of us, maybe some of us, just need your restoring love. We need to know that your arms are wide open, the doors are wide open for us, that you want us and you want to work in us and through us. Help us to believe this, to trust it, to embrace it today. We ask it all in Christ's name. Amen.